Okay, hi everyone, this is Dylan. Uh, and yeah, this is a word I feel the Lord has given me. Uh, a while ago, I was resting <laughs> in the middle of the day, and it was kind of like in between sleeping and not sleeping, and I just felt in the in my heart the Lord remind me of David and Bathsheba. So I went to re read the story again, and um, yeah, I feel, felt the Lord speak to me through the story. So I've entitled this word, The Heart That God Rejects and The Heart That God Loves. And um, yeah, something really amazing came out of this. And it's a revelation of exactly that the heart that God rejects and the heart that God loves and really it has to do with repentance the type of repentance which God loves and accepts and the type of repentance that God rejects so um, yeah I'm just gonna go through this is one portion in 2 Samuel and then another one in 1 Samuel basically comparing David and Saul. So, yeah, here it is. Okay, so let's read. I'm going to read. I'm just going to read through the the first portion, and then um, just point, uh, draw a few things out of it. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messages and took her. <laughs> and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to, to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat, to drink, and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this. Then David said to Uriah, 
Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was, bes and as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall, so that he died at Tebez? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah's husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Nathan rebukes David. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat out of his morsel, and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveller to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord, to do what is evil in his sight? 
You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to, da to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. David's child dies, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him what the ch that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, As the child is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food, he said. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Okay, so here we see quite an amazing story. And this is not even the end of it. Um, because what ends up happening is drama upon drama in David's life. Um, this We see this child immediately after this child dies. The Lord's word comes true. There are consequences to David's actions. Um, so I'm just going to actually put that here. David, there were consequences to David's actions. And those consequences were from the Lord. Um, his child died, and later on, his son uh, overthrows him. <laughs> and other terrible things happen um, in his life. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, he experiences much of this public chastisement. He experiences public chastisement from the Lord, even after repenting, even after acknowledging his sin. Um, and, yeah, so that's something to just note. But you see how he, he takes it. 
he he takes it in a humble way and yeah he 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 fasts and prays and trusts and hopes that the lord you know that the lord may change his mind regarding these disciplines <laughs> um yeah he doesn't raise his fist against the lord because he knows why it's happening he knows what he did um he knows what he did was wrong now a lot of people have made a lot of different assumptions about why david did this to uriah um i think the first thing that we need to understand here is that david murdered uriah because he coveted uriah's wife let's not um sugarcoat this david intentionally murdered uriah in order to get his wife because he lusted after his wife after seeing her bathing and um so yeah his lust his fall into lust moves over into actually before he murders him it's interesting here before he has him murdered he invite he, he um schemes <laughs> he schemes he invites uriah uh to to the, the castle or wherever he was living and he even tries to get him drunk why so that uriah can go home that's why there's such a lot of conversation here about just the character of uriah so that uriah can go home and lie with his wife why because she's been impregnated and so if it comes out that she's pregnant and uriah's like but i never lied with her during that time i was in battle <laughs> who lied with her then of course david's sin would be made known to all the kingdom and this would be a great you know controversy obviously so david schemes to try and cover up his sin um right but amazing i'm just so struck by uriah's character he um he's so honorable even though david is scheming and doing all these things and trying to get him to eat and trying to get him to lie with his wife because his men are still not at home with their own wives why should he experience you know the joys and the comforts of home while everyone else is the battle so he sleeps at the door of <laughs> david's house with all the other men he doesn't go home uh, what a man you know what a man this is uh, in a way a perfect man <laughs> you know um almost like the lord jesus just so pure so perfect and david functioning you know just in an evil 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 way and he had everything you know um he had everything and multiple wives god had given him so many things and yeah god even talks about it here in in one into samuel uh, when nathan in, sorry in chapter 12 when nathan kind of rebukes him 
He anointed him over Israel. He delivered him out of the hands of Saul. He gave him wives and houses and put him in charge and, you know, so many things. And yet still, that wasn't enough for him. So, yeah, you can see accumulating and receiving all these things doesn't change what's in our hearts. <laughs> the sin that's in our hearts. Um, so, some have said, and, 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 and this might be the case, is that David's... Um, David's pride and David's sense of entitlement may have caused him to feel justified in taking, taking Bathsheba um, and doing all these things because he's the king, you know. So pride filled his heart and lust and murder. And he just, you know, did all these things. And um, what's amazing, actually, is that he's completely, he seems to be blind. Um, David seems to be blind to the, <laughs> the uh, reality of his sin. I mean, he knows that he has sinned. Because, you know, he's trying to cover it up. and But it somehow doesn't hit him. It doesn't hit him between the eyes. I have sinned. I have I've done this terrible. I've murdered an honorable man who's fighting in my army. Um, you know. He's almost blinded. Yeah, he's blinded. It's weird. A man we know is after God's own heart written so many beautiful psalms, loves the Lord, fought on behalf of the Lord, has done all these amazing things for the Lord, but yet is somehow blinded by his sin. And I, I actually want to talk about this, this element, um, because I've seen it happening in my own life and in the lives of other brothers and sisters. You know, in many ways, we are like David. <laughs> we have been blessed by the Lord. You know, we have received things that were never ours because of because of the because of the Lord Jesus. We we um we've been exalted in many ways. We've received all the riches you know, of Christ. We have received sonship from the Lord. You know, we've received so many amazing things. The gift of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, fatherhood from God. We've received a, um, a purpose and a destiny. We've received a calling. So we have been highly esteemed, highly honored, made to be kings and priests of God. We've been washed, we've been cleansed, we've been made holy. So we've received all these amazing things, and 
in many ways, what seems to happen is just like David, we become entitled. We become entitled. We somehow think that because of all of these amazing gifts and all of these ama- the graces that the Lord has poured out on us, we somehow think that we are entitled to those things, that we are entitled to whatever we want. We can just take it. Because why? I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. So it's mine. I can do this. Or I can sin in this way because God's grace is sufficient. I've experienced his grace before. Or I can do X, Y, and Z and God, God will be with me. I can do this thing because I'm a child of God. God will be with me. And we somehow forget that everything we've received is grace. Everything we've received has come at a tremendous price. The price of God's only begotten Son. We become entitled. We become proud. We become like who? Like Lucifer. We become like Lucifer. Pride enters our hearts because of the glory because of the glory of the Lord, the glory that is come upon us, pride enters our hearts. I don't know if you are guys are familiar um, with what happens with Lucifer, <laughs> but I'm just looking for the um, for the reference. quickly but what happens to lucifer is here we go it's in isaiah 14 let's quickly let's quickly go to that isaiah 14 from verse 12 How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, here we go, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. These are the other angels. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Uh, There's another portion, actually, which, um, which is really good. I think... I think that's an important verse right over there. And um, okay, let's just do all of that. And that is Isaiah 14 from verse 13 to 14. Okay, so that's the one portion. The next portion is in Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel 28 from verse 12 as well. Here we go. <clears throat> you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until righteousness was found, unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroy you, O guardian cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the ground, on the earth, in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end, and you shall be no more forever. Wow. Yeah, I think this is the key verse. Verse 17. Ezekiel 28, verse 17. <clears throat> um, this... This is such a beautiful picture, or this is such a dreadful picture, actually, because these are the things that we are granted. We are, we are, um, um, the, you know, these beautiful gifts, these stones are, are like, um, you know, gold is, is a, is a picture of, 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 of the Father and the Spirit um, works into us precious stones, you know. And these are, are things that we receive. We receive all these beautiful things from God. We are placed in, in His garden. We are full of, we are filled with His, His wisdom and His beauty. We are made perfect in His sight, <laughs> you know. Um, we are, are, are placed on the holy mountain of God, where his city is, in order to reveal his splendor to the whole world. But what ends up happening is because of all of this beauty and because of all of this splendor, we become confused. <laughs> we become confused. We, we somehow think that it's ours. We somehow begin to believe that uh, we are entitled to it, you know, and that we will always have it because God, you know, because God did this in our, in our hearts and in our lives. Now, now it's ours and now, you know, we can take it for granted. 
we can do whatever we want. We somehow think that God's love for us was because of how good we were. <laughs> we we don't realize that we were never good. We were terrible, unrighteous, filthy, dirty, filled with sin. And because of his great mercy, he comes and cleans us and he places us on that holy mountain. And he fills us with his goodness and his life and his love. And it's all there because of grace. And pride begins to fill our hearts or maybe the pride that was always there <laughs> begins to take root more and more <clears throat> and in many ways david became like lucifer david uh, uh um you could say succumb to the luciferian spirit to that proud spirit and as a result, he was blinded by his sin. I mean, if you think of it, how could Lucifer have ever thought that he could establish his throne <laughs> on high? That he could make himself like the Most High? How, I mean, how could you possibly? How could he possibly think that? I mean, he was closest to the throne. He was a um, what does it say here about a cherub, um, a guardian cherub, you know? And yet, he's deceived and somehow thinks that he can do what he wants. And anyways, we know the story. God throws him down and um, yeah, he's now the scorn of all the ages. And so, I, I just want to draw attention to this, that we should not think that uh, we are entitled to anything. We shouldn't we should be careful to allow this pride to enter our hearts, the pride that entered David's heart, the pride that entered Lucifer's heart. Because there are serious consequences, serious, serious consequences. Lucifer experienced it and will forever experience it. And David experienced it for the rest of his days. And if we uh, enter that place, if we allow ourselves to go that route, we will also experience the consequences. Okay, so that's the first thing. Are you blinded by sin? Have you become blinded by your sin like David? Do you, are you entitled? Do you think that you can do whatever you want? Because you are a child of God. And somehow God will just make it right. You know, he will just fix your mistakes. And he will just be there. He'll just, you'll just have favor. You know. Beware, O child of God. This is not the spirit of God. This is the spirit of Lucifer. This is the spirit of pride. <laughs> so, yeah, um. May the Lord have mercy on us. That we do not even entertain this. And that if it does happen in our lives, that by his mercy, he will send to us a Nathan. A Nathan. <laughs> let's go back to, um, let's go back. Is it to Samuel? Let's, oops. To Samuel. That the Lord would send to us a Nathan. 
Bless Nathan for hearing the word of the Lord and sharing it with David. David is stuck in his pride and in his sin. He's blinded. He's murdered someone. <laughs> he's trying to cover it up. And um, Nathan goes and shares with him a very basic parable. And what's amazing is that David instinctively acknowledges the unrighteousness, the evil, the unjustness of the story. There's a man who has everything, who takes from the poor man the little that he has for himself. He basically steals from him. He uses his power to take from the poor man. And David instinctively becomes angry at the injustice of this. <laughs> and he even says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no pity. So he recognizes that the consequences of this should be death because of how unjust this is. And that he should restore, he should make restitution fourfold. That was the practice in Israel, is that um, if, you, if, if, if anything happened, if you did anything which caused your neighbor to lose, that you would restore it fourfold in order to make it right. And, you know, it's amazing that on the one hand, David covers up, uses his pride, is entitled, is completely blind to his own sin, but on the other hand, can clearly see the sin of this man in the story. And he's even angry about it. How is that possible? How is it possible that on the one hand, you can be complete, you can see how evil something is, and even be uh, um, filled with emotion? because of how the, the injustice and the evil about it, but then on the same hand, somehow cover up your own sin and be okay with your own sin and not seem to connect the two together. How is that possible? Pride. Pride blinds us. Pride wraps around our hearts and, 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 and disconnects our minds what we learn, what we see in the world around us, what we acknowledge as good or bad, and ourselves. It somehow destabilizes us, disconnects us from, <clears throat> from the two. <clears throat> and we need um, a revelation. We need a Nathan to come and help us to see what's really going on. We are deceived. We are absolutely deceived. We understand truth, but somehow we do not connect it to ourselves. We cannot humble ourselves and realize that that is me. I, that, that word that I'm hearing, that word that I'm seeing, that word that I believe is true, I cannot, we cannot seem to connect it to ourselves. And that deception needs a Nathan. We need the word of the Lord to come and plainly tell us, not in any 
um, <laughs> figurative language. You are that man. You see this word? You are that man. You are the one that is that is evil. You are the one that you are angry with when it happens to other people. You are the same one. We need that plain language from a brother or a sister who loves us enough to tell us, you are this. You have become this. Because otherwise what happens is we, we might hear this word, just like he did here. He heard the word, but he still couldn't connect it to himself. The story doesn't continue to say, and David realized after hearing this word about this man, he realized that he was exactly that same man. No, that didn't happen. Nathan had to tell him, you are the man, and then explain to him why. He's that man. And then he explains to him everything. And as a result, David realizes that he has sinned against the Lord. And he repents. So I want to talk about uh, as well here the need for Nathans. We need people who love us enough Oops. to help us see when we are deceived. It is fine to pray for someone who is deceived and stuck in their pride, and it is good to pray for them. And it is fine to share the word of God for them, hoping that they will kind of connect the two. <laughs> but there comes a point where if we love them enough, we will take courage and we will go and tell them exactly and explain to them with tears in our eyes and on our knees. Can you see that you have become this? Can you see your pride? Can you see that you've been deceived? Can you see? So, for that, we, we need people who will hear from the Lord and understand His Word. Understand His Word. When you're praying for people, can you see where, where they're at? Can, do you acknowledge the Word of the Lord regarding them? And if someone had to come to you, would you be willing to receive them? And receive their, the word of the Lord for your life. Are we the type of people who are seeing by the word. <laughs> or seeing by the spirit. And speaking by the word. And receiving by the spirit. And receiving by the word. So yeah, I just wanted to talk about this. Uh, this need in the body of Christ. For Nathans. For Nathans that will love where, that we will love one another enough to speak these truths to brothers and sisters whom we love and whom we've prayed for, whom we see have fallen into these traps. And we need to be a people that desire Nathans in our lives. 
and live in such a way where they are welcome in our lives, welcome to speak into our lives, and where we want to hear their voices. Why? Because we know how easy it is to become deceived. We know how easy it is to be led astray. We know how easy it is for pride to enter our hearts. If it can happen to David and it can happen to Lucifer, why can it not happen to us? Even Peter happened. Lord, I will never deny you. <laughs> Lord, I will never deny you. Pride entering his heart. It can happen to any single one of us. Even Peter was um, was denying the gospel by only sitting with and eating with Jews. And Paul had to rebuke him. Paul was a Nathan to him. And he rebuked him and helped him to come out of his deception. Help him to repent. We need brothers and sisters that are willing to do this in love and by the Lord. So, right. So now how do we know that David truly repented? I have sinned against the Lord. We see this here. He acknowledges his sin. But how do we know that he truly um, repents? So, because we know that Nathan says to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. Praise the Lord. He's forgiven him, but there's still consequences. He won't die, <laughs> but there's consequences to his actions. And uh, these are the many consequences. But how do we know that David really repented? Because and this is what I want to talk about is we get, you do get, you get um, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. All these sorrows where you say, I'm sorry, I acknowledge my sin. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did it. You know, please forgive me. <laughs> That's worldly sorrow. It's like, it's like, yeah, you acknowledge that you were wrong. Godly sorrow is different. Godly sorrow is a broken type of sorrow. It is where you lament, you fast, you are so broken, you see what you've done and you realize that there is that you have scorned the name of the Lord and that you have hurt other people. It's a very different, it's a very different type of, of sorrow. Um, it's actually described in 2 Corinthians. Oh dear, 2 Corinthians. Funny how it always goes to Exodus. Um, when, yeah. Um, I must just find it now. Here we go. For godly grief or godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly sorrow or grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. 
So here we see this godly grief is this is this is what it looks like. It is filled with an eagerness. There's a motivation, a zeal to clear your name, to 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 honor God, to do what is right. There's even an indignation, an anger at 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 at, at this and at those who do it and at yourself. You know, there's this kind of banging on the table. Ah! God, have mercy on my soul. And a fear of God, a real fear, a holy fear, not this nonsense here of Lucifer and David, you know, and of the entitled believer. Oh, well, it's fine. You know, I'm a child of God, so I can... You know, God will forgive me. <laughs> no, not at all. So there's this real zeal and this brokenness over one's sin that comes in. And, and this is what, what needs to happen to really set oneself free from, being, from the pride of being blinded by your sin. It's not enough to just have worldly grief. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry I did this, but then anyways, just do it again, you know, or I'm sorry, but then there's no, there's no zeal, there's no brokenness, there's no humility, um, and there's none of that, it's just, I'm sorry, you know, forgive me and let's carry on, <laughs> that's worldly grief, don't really see what you've done wrong, so now, how do we know that David <coughs> experienced godly grief? Because we see there, he says, you know, I've sinned against the Lord. Sure, he acknowledged that. But how do we know he experienced God to give? Well, for that, we need to go to Psalm 51. This is what he wrote after being awoken. Oh, sorry, awoken. Awakened to his sin by Nathan. He wrote this psalm. Let's have a look. See if you can see godly repentance here. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guilt, 
from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Wow. I'm sure that you can see what the heart that God is pleased with, the heart that God receives, what godly repentance looks like. This is not a heart that assumes anything. It is not a heart that is entitled in any way. It is not a heart that believes it is deserving even of God's mercy. It is a broken, humbled, desperate heart. It is a heart that is pleading to God for mercy. It does not take his uh, forgiveness even as a given. It is a heart that is poor, 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 poor. And I think that this is the really the difference between someone that has really seen their sin, their pride, and been humbled, and someone who is still proud, acknowledges their sin, but is retaining their pride. Yes, I have sinned, but this one and that one. Yes, I have sinned, but Bathsheba tempted me. Yes, I have sinned, but I am the king. Yes, I have sinned, but, 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 but. That is not a heart that has been humbled yet. That is a proud, deceived, and entitled heart. That is the heart that God rejects. And we're going to talk about that heart a little bit soon, give an example of that. So, I, yeah, this is probably the best example in the scriptures of someone who has truly uh, been humbled and truly seen their sin. Can you see here, uh, he's saying, you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You delight in truth. This is someone that acknowledges who God is. And that he does, hasn't had truth. He hasn't been walking in the truth. Walking in the light. He hasn't had wisdom. He realizes that he is a sinful man. <laughs> it doesn't matter what God has given him. He is a sinful man. And he acknowledges his sin. He was brought forth in sin. Everything that he has received has been from God's hand as a blessing. And that 
if if he crushes him, he's blameless. God, it doesn't matter what God chooses to do to him, what how God chooses to judge him. God would be blameless. God would be blameless. God would be justified in doing it all, even the destruction of his child in this case, and the further calamities that befall him. God is justified. God can do it. Anything that we receive from the Lord or don't receive from the Lord is really mercy. We don't deserve any of it. If we don't understand that, we will we will we will become proud like Lucifer. Really? Yeah, you can see that there's um David knows that there's nothing that he can do to cleanse himself. There's nothing that he can do. Only God can do it. So he comes to God with brokenness and says, God, you wash me, you cleanse me, you purge me, and only then will I be whiter than snow. Look at this. Let the bones that that you have broken rejoice. This is a man that is uh, receiving his discipline from the Lord. And he's saying those bones that have been broken from by the Lord, they should rejoice. Why? Because they have been they have been dealt with by God. Like it says in Hebrews 12, God disciplines those he loves. And even in his disciplining as sinful people, we can rejoice when he disciplines us. Even our broken bones can rejoice and glorify him. Why? Because he's a loving God. That comes and disciplines those he loves and breaks our bones so that we will listen, so that we will wake up, so that we'll be set free from our deception, from our pride. God breaks our bones because he loves us. May we become like David that when our bones are broken by God, when we have been broken by God, we wake up from our stupor and we even cry out from that brokenness. God, thank you. God, we love you. God, you are glorious. This is the heart of a broken person. This is the heart of... Of a Christian. It's a repentant heart. It is a broken spirit. It is poor in spirit. Like Jesus talks about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Can you see how he's hungering and thirsting for righteousness? There is nothing that he can do to fill that void. He is crying out to God for that. And look at this. The only authority that David has, the only authority that any of us have to teach others God's ways is if we have received these things from God's hand as a result of his grace and mercy towards our brokenness and our repentance. Then we can teach transgressors your ways. We have no authority. We have no right. We have no power. We have no truth to teach anyone else, other sinners, <laughs> anything about God until we come to this place of true repentance before God and live in that place. 
and we will find that if if we go for an extended period of time in this entitled proud and deceived place any ministry we do anything we say it will have no power it will have no effect why because we are not actually walking in the light So our, our ministry, our, our teaching, our singing, <laughs> anything that comes out of our mouth and out of our lives needs to come from this place that David came to. A place of brokenness, a place of deep, deep gratitude, deep, deep humility and if we any of us think <laughs> that we are somehow right somehow righteous somehow perfect that we ourselves uh, do not need this mercy from the lord we are deceived already we each one of us to think that if god you know comes and makes you a son that you are somehow um free <laughs> from ever needing to to come to this place you know that you somehow we somehow only need this dimension of repentance when we initially come to the lord then we are deceived this is this is not a place you know which we come to once and then after that somehow a uh, god is okay with our sin and somehow you know it's like oh just put a plaster on it and you know everything will be fine no 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 this is the place that we live in we live in this place of of deep humility and of brokenness for our over our sin that doesn't change and I, I think that there is this idea in the christian world that we just need to be repentant in the beginning and then after that you know when we sin it's not a big deal no it is a very big deal to god it's always a big deal it's never just ach shame you know god is love <laughs> no then i don't think we've ever really understood repentance if someone has that idea, then I'm not even sure that their initial repentance understood these things. Or if they did, they have become proud. Brothers and sisters, may we humble ourselves before the Lord. We have no right to anything that He's given us. And we cannot rest on what He has done before. In order to stand before him and say, well, God, you've made me your child. So, you know, let's call it, let's call it even, <laughs> you know, sort this out for me. How dare we? How dare we? Then we are taking all of these things for granted. So, um, so yeah, the basis upon which we have the authority to teach others is the degree to which we walk in brokenness and humility and repentance before our God. That is what gives us authority. Nothing else. Anything else and we will be a clanging gong. A clanging cymbal. We will have no fruit. Our words will be empty. So if you are teaching the body of Christ. If you are ministering to the body of Christ. If you are ministering to your family. If you're teaching, trying to teach your family about God and you are not walking 
in true godly repentance over your sin and over the things that you do, your words will, will not produce fruit. You will be a clanging symbol. You will be a whitewashed tomb. <clears throat> and God will discipline you for that. So may we live and teach and minister and walk with authenticity before our God in the light. And truly walk in brokenness before God. So that we are not those who's, who God rejects, but those that he loves, receives, and continues to walk, walk, walk this out with. Continues to, to uh, disciple, discipline, grow, mature. So let's see a little bit about the heart that God rejects. We've, we've touched on it's proud, it's deceived, it's entitled, it's Luciferian. <laughs> this is not a small thing. This is not a small thing at all. We should not think that this is a small thing. This is a serious thing. Okay, now let's look at 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. I think it's around um, verse 12. I mean, chapter 12. Or 13. Maybe it's a bit further on. Here we go. Okay, so um, Saul became king. People wanted a king, and God chose Saul as the king. God chose him. The, the, the people wanted a king, but, but God chose Saul and, and, and Samuel anointed Saul. Okay. And God, God only anoints David after Saul's transgressions. We must understand Saul was initially God's choice. <laughs> yes. Okay. He was tall and handsome and strong and all of these things, but he was God's choice. And, um, yeah, but God eventually rejects him. So let's have a look. Um, Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash <laughs> and the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Gibeah. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. Sorry. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash, to the east of Beth, Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. 
and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, <laughs> Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept the word of the Lord, kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with him, them stayed at Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped at Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned towards Oprah, to the land of Shual. Another company turned towards Beth Horon. And another company turned toward the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim towards the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the first time said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. Okay, yeah, we don't really need to read on. Now, um, I just want to make sure. Okay, yeah, so here you can see, very simple. Saul is given a command by the Lord to wait seven days for Samuel to uh, come and do the burnt offerings. Samuel was the priest at that time and the prophet but he becomes afraid because to win this battle he needs the people and the people are becoming fearful and they begin scattering so what does Saul do Saul just takes the burnt offerings and does it himself see Bring the burnt offerings here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. And he engages this activity. Why? In order to keep the people there so that the people will believe that, you know, God will, will be with them because of they've done what is needed to do so that they can go fight. <clears throat> and as a result... Samuel says to him, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the commands of the Lord. Otherwise, he would have established your kingdom forever. But as a result, he rejects Saul and he chooses David, a man after his own heart, to become prince over his people. And then really the rest of the story is this relationship between David and Saul and eventually how Saul's trying to destroy David because David is the one that God has chosen and David's um, different exploits and how David eventually becomes king. 
And really the rest of David's life uh, changes after that point where he sins, although he does he does re- truly repent and the the line, the, the kingly line actually stays with his family, although David's life is very troubled after that. It was troubled before and troubled after, but after that you see a different type of a David. You see a wounded David, almost like mm, Jacob after God struck his um his thigh. See a wounded David. Anyways, I, I just want to draw out just one or two things here. Um you know Saul, you can see Saul here. Saul doesn't really have a fear of the Lord. He is really only interested in the political element of things, you know. So, in so in order to have the people alongside him, he engages the various um, religious requirements. Okay, so for him, it's not really about God; it's for uh, political purposes. Saul engages the religious requirements of God for political purposes not because he loves God so this is very important because if he really loved God if he really honored wanted to honor God he would have waited as long as it took because he would have known it's not about just doing the burnt offering it's about honoring God. <laughs> That's what matters. And in order to honor God, we must follow his command. It's not just about the activity. That's not what honors God. It's, a, it's our hearts that honor God. It's, it's the, the activities are there to help out, to, to give our hearts expression, practical expression. They, in and of themselves, they do not uh, please the Lord. That's why David says, you know, um, I would give you a burnt offering, but you know that's not what it's about. It's a contrite and broken heart that God is after, a heart that loves Him. And you know, I've seen so so often that when when our hearts are filled with pride, when we don't actually our hearts are not full of love for God anymore, we begin to engage in religious activities, not because it's a place where we can express God and love God, but because it's expected. Because we don't want to lose the relationships we have, because we don't want to lose favor with God, because you know, we don't want to lose favor in our minds with God and with others. It's no longer a place of true worship. Saul was not worshipping God here. Saul was engaging in political activity. Gather people. Do what's necessary in their eyes. And in the same way, we can become deceived to the point where we're engaging in religious activities from political reasons to keep favor instead of worship, instead of true worship to the Lord. Then it's just religion. It's just religion then. It's no longer spiritual. And so, <clears throat> yeah, um, I think it's so important that we recognize this. Do our hearts truly love God? If they do, we are going to follow His commands with a sincere heart and 
we are going to repent properly. You see in the story that Saul doesn't even really repent. It doesn't talk, it doesn't speak, it doesn't, he doesn't repent, you know. <laughs> he doesn't really repent. I mean, it doesn't even say anything about his repentance. It just talks about how he is rejected by God. And I, I, I want to come to this because this is very important. This talks about the type of a heart that God rejects. God rejects a heart that um, is proud, is, um, is not sincere, is political, political or religious, whatever you want to call it. God rejects that and desires a different God desires the heart of Christ or at least a heart like David and um, yeah I, I want I want us as God's people to be so clear on these things to not think that um, we will somehow be accepted by God just because we do the activities, the religious activities that he has, like read the Bible, pray, fast, go to church meetings, preach the gospel, listen to worship music, sing, uh, teach our family about God, whatever it may be, whatever it may be, there are so many activities uh, that God has given to us to express our love at, for him and to participate in his kingdom but we, we should not think that by doing those things we somehow please God we don't <laughs> we can do all of them and still God will reject us God will reject us we can even repent quote unquote we can even acknowledge our sin and God will still reject us look here Saul He did not lie. He said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, I did what I needed to do. I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. <laughs> he did not lie. He, he acknowledged that he did it. You know, he acknowledged that he did it. And he explains, he, give, he gives a good reason. He, he says, this is the reason why. You know, so he's, there's a but. I did do it, but I did it, but I should call this uh, the heart that um, filled the heart filled with butts versus the heart without butts. I, I did this. Yes, I did sin, but here's my good reason for sinning. See, we don't see that. In David's example, we don't see that in David's example. We just see David saying, I have sinned against the Lord. And then we see Psalm 51. No buts. There's no, there's no but in Psalm 51. It is a humbled, contrite, broken heart that is crying out to God for mercy. We do not see 
such a heart in Saul. We see a proud heart that is full of buts. This is not true repentance. This is an example of um, worldly sorrow. Can you see why it's worldly? Because it's pointing at all the different things in the world. It's not focused on God. That's why it's godly sorrow. When we have godly sorrow, we are recognized that we have sinned against God and God alone. It doesn't matter if what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people did. It doesn't matter if other people were involved. We don't make excuses. We acknowledge immediately, I have sinned against God. Whereas worldly sorrow points at everything in the world. Yes, but this one and that one and this thing and that thing and consequence this and consequence that. And these are all the reasons why I sin. That's worldly sorrow. It's, I'm sorry, but. And usually that uh, worldly sorrow doesn't result in salvation from that sin. But it continues to perpetuate. And in this case, after Saul uh, gives his explanation, Saul, Samuel says to him, God has rejected you. Can you see, this is the heart that God rejects. It is a heart filled with buts, full of worldly sorrow. It's not a heart that truly loves God and truly sees God and truly acknowledges God and truly fears God. It is a heart that's just focused on the here and the now. It is a proud heart. It is an entitled heart. And so that's really the two things that I wanted to draw a parallel with in this uh, video. And in this portion, there is a heart that God rejects and there's a type of repentance that God rejects. And there is a heart that God loves and accepts and a type of repentance that God loves and accepts. And there are very serious consequences for each one. Although the, the how can I put this, the, the, the reason that we have the sins for both of these is pretty much the same. It's pride. <laughs> pride uh, results in sin, um, but it is that uh, um, rebellion. There's a difference between pride and rebellion. Rebellion is the type of heart that, that God rejects. Even when you are faced with your sin, you still raise your fist and say, but, 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 but. You hold on to your pride over here. It's rebelling against God. Even though God himself is clearly speaking to you, you still rebel against God. Why? Because somehow you convince yourself that, uh, well, God has, done, God has given me all these things, like with Saul, God has made me king. So I should be able to do whatever I want, and I should be able to make use of any of the things that God gives in order to succeed. You know? I mean, Samuel, I mean, Saul wanted to defeat the Philistines. I mean, that's a pretty good uh, thing, you know, because they were, he was raised up as king in order to save the people from the Philistines. <laughs> so he's thinking, I need to do whatever I need to do in order to accomplish my political mission. But honoring God is way more important than our political missions. And if we cannot honor God by uh, doing what he's called us to do, then 
he will reject us. See? So, yes. This heart doesn't really love God. It is really rebelling against God and is a heart that wants to basically use God and the things of God in order to achieve our own ambitions, our own goals, our own desires. It's That's the heart that you will notice when there is speaking into that heart and into that life about sin. They will rise up with pride. But, 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 but. That's an ambitious, rebellious heart that is actually using God and the things of God and the people of God for its own ambitions. It's a political heart. It, it, it hasn't been softened. It hasn't been broken. It hasn't. It's not a heart. Uh, it's not a man after God's heart. It's not a heart like God. Yeah, after his own heart. But this heart that God loves, the one after his own heart, is the one that if he gets deceived, if because you know, we're all susceptible to this, if he becomes proud and entitled and is blinded, when there is a speaking into that life, a, a serious speaking, a Nathan or a Samuel, <laughs> that heart doesn't have any buts. It just simply accepts the truth. And repents in brokenness. So which heart are we going to have as God's people? Are we going to have a heart that God rejects or a heart that God loves? I trust that the Lord will work in us in such a way that he will soften our hearts. So that we can be those people that even if we do fall into sin, even if we are blinded, that we will come to our senses and we will cry out for mercy and we will obey God and we will in brokenness come to him and his people. We will, we, will, we will do whatever it takes to be made right with God. We will lay down our pride and our rebellion and we will surrender, surrender everything to God. Now, may the Lord gain such a people, a people that are after his own heart. Those are the people whom he establishes his lineage with. It is not the souls of this world. It is not those who have the buts. They will, their names, their, their, their families, their whatever it may be, their, their lineage will end. <laughs> they will, the Lord will not continue to work through their lives to establish his kingdom through their lives until unless they truly repent. The Lord is going to establish his line, the, the line of Christ, through these that have these hearts, the heart of David. Do you want which and my question is which hearts do we want to have? Do we want to have the lives uh, which God establishes Christ, his lineage through, or the ones that are forgotten, <laughs> the ones that he ends up not continuing with. Yeah, may he help us. May he help us to become such a people. For he's worthy of such a people. He really is worthy of such a people. Yeah, I just want to pray. Father, I come before you today and I really want to ask you to help us. 
to help us to be a people that are after your heart. A people in the line of David. The people that can bring forth Christ in the earth. Such a people, God. Not a political, religious people that have our own ambitions, pursuing our own desires, using your kingdom and your people and your activities as a, a means of personal gain. Please, Father, help us. Help us, God. Help us to, to humble ourselves, to humble our hearts to bow down before you and worship you as God because you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of everything. We are entitled to nothing for all the glory belongs to you. All the honor belongs to you. All the majesty belongs to you. You are the only one who is entitled. Entitled to it all. Father, will you do this in our hearts and in our lives? <laughs> Please. Father, will you also raise up Nathans and Samuels who will speak your word to those who have become blind, to those who are doing their own thing, to those who are sinning against you and just doing whatever they want, who have, be who have become deceived by, pri by pride. I pray that you will give us courage to be those ones who will go and share the word of the Lord with our brothers and sisters that have fallen into pride so that their eyes can be opened so that they have an opportunity to truly repent and so that what's in their hearts can become exposed. Are they Truly repenting, have they got godly sorrow? Are they truly humble? Have they got hearts that are after God's heart? Or are they still full of buts? Hearts that you reject. Oh God, sanctify your bride. Purge us. Cleanse us. Renew a right spirit within us. Father, we need you. We need you. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to see, to see these truths. That we won't walk around with blinkers on, unable to discern <laughs> the way that you build your house, the, 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 the way that you work with your people. These are serious things. They have serious consequences. May we not be those who go, oh, well, so, you know. So that person did this well. So they're not truly repenting. Oh, well, you know, God will. God's their judge. <laughs> oh, God, may we see that as your people, we are responsible for one another. We are responsible for your house. We will have to give an account for everything and for everyone that you've placed in our lives. We are responsible. We cannot say that we are not our brother's keeper. We are we are, we are, we are. I pray that you'll give us the courage to take responsibility for those around us, for our communities, for our lives, for our families, and take the courage to share your word with those around us. 
I pray also that you will give us the courage to be those who receive your word, who long for your word, who desire your truth to be spoken into their lives so that our hearts can remain remain fresh, so that our hearts can remain supple, so that our hearts can remain soft. May we be a people that walk in the light together, pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, speak into one another's lives so that we will not become... Um, Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, like it says in Hebrews. Daily walking in authenticity, truth, love. So that we will not become hardened like Saul because hardened. But that we will become soft like David. That even though he sinned, he was able to be saved from that sin because of his repentance. Please, Father, raise up a people, raise up a community that that loves, does not love their lives, but that loves you even unto death, Lord. Death of self, death of sin, death of pride. Please, Father, we need you to will and work in us for your good pleasure. For you are worthy. Amen.